Welcome to the Ex-Millennial Man Podcast, the podcast for SeedSing.com. I am your host, R.D. Kulik, and with me today is you, the lovely audience. That's who's with me today. It was a scheduling issue, but I wanted to put a podcast out. Originally, I was going to do a lament of Generation X, but I decided I kind of want Ty here to be able to defend himself. So I was sitting here. It's Friday. It's Friday the 13th, January, Friday the 13th, 2023, and thinking to myself, ooh, maybe I could talk about some of my favorite movies associated with this day, like Jason X. I'm serious, people. It's a terrible movie that you're going to love. But then as I was thinking, I go, well, no, you know what? This podcast isn't going to come out on Friday the 13th. It's going to come out on Saturday the 14th. And so I go, you know what? I think there was a movie made called Saturday the 14th. I think it was like some kind of weird horror parody movie or something like that. And I didn't know if I just made it up or if I came up with a great idea. Because I'll tell you right now, having a kind of weird horror comedy parody film called Saturday the 14th or called Thursday the 12th or something, I actually think is a really good idea. So I went and I went to the trusty old internet, my our unpaid intern here, even though I do give money every year, just so don't come at me. Wikipedia, and I looked it up, and yes, the movie came out in 1981. It's an hour and 15 minutes long. I mean, really short movie. And I was like, I wonder if it was any good. So I know I'd seen it sometime, and the moment I started to read about it, it all came flooding back. For some reason, I have a weird memory of being up in family at Buffalo, New York, watching this movie. And I remember thinking it was terrible. And so it got me to think about this podcast and this idea of what are some movies or some ideas that that I was genuinely excited for, that I thought, wow, this is going to be good or this is what I'm waiting for. And I went to go see it and it was not good. Now, before I go on, I do want to say there are some movies on this list I'm going to talk about that I personally enjoy, but I still think overall they kind of fail their great ideas. I also want to say I don't have movies on here like Batman v Superman or Justice League. Uh, the Zack, not Zack Snyder, the Joss Whedon Justice League. I went into that movie expecting it to not be good. And that's a podcast for another time, like why go to movies we don't think are going to be good. So that's not what this is. This is things that I genuinely, I thought, wow, this is good. The idea is good. The franchise is good. There's something good about it. I was really excited to see it. And something happened that just, every movie I'm going to talk about is actually considered not really a success. I don't want to go as far as a failure. But like the Saturday the 14th film, I mean, it was Scary Movie 15 years before Scary Movie. The reason why the first Scary Movie, the reason why that worked is it took these horror films and made genuine jokes out of it. Whereas this Saturday the 14th, instead of being a ripoff of Friday the 13th or trying to joke about that, it instead was like an old school haunted house goofy movie. Jeffrey Tambor's in it, by the way, but it just didn't work. Okay, and a couple of other movies I'm not going to talk about on here are things like Dune, David Lynch's Dune. I mean, again, these are obvious in a lot of ways why they didn't work. But I also hope that you're left with some interesting stories here. But no, look, there's a way to make all these movies work. And as a matter of fact, there have been attempts that have made these types of movies work. So I already talked about Saturday the 14th. I want to go to the probably in all honesty, this is going to be the biggest one that I remember going to see that I was really super excited for and walked out and was like, oh, my God. And it's not the movie everybody's thinking right now because I'm going to get to that in a minute. This is Roland Emmerich's 1998 Godzilla. Now, 
For those of you that have listened to this podcast, you know I am a huge Godzilla fan. And it's not even that I'm a Godzilla fan as much as I just love watching monsters beat up each other. Even kind of a dumb movie from the last few years, Rampage, I still kind of enjoy. But I, I do like my classic monsters. I do like the original Godzilla. And yes, I know they're a little bit slower. And I know a lot of them are mystery science theater level. But I still enjoy the hell out of these movies. So finally, they were remaking it in an American version. And this is coming off Independence Day, which is a movie that, yeah, I enjoyed at the time. I don't think it's that great now. But it it had it was a big, but it's supposed to be the biggest movie of 1998. And Ty and I, we talked about uh, 82 one time. I want to talk about 99. 98's a weird year, too. But this movie, it had Matthew Broderick in it. It had a... Jean Renault in it, Hank Azaria was in it, Harry Shear was in it. I mean, come on, Simpsons people. There's our Simpsons references right there. It was going to be Godzilla in New York. It was 4th of July weekend, I believe it came out, all this stuff. And my God, is that movie terrible. Now, part of what helped the hype with this is the marketing was off the charts. They were talking about it everywhere, and there's a famous trailer where you see a big, uh, a big giant foot step on um, a Tyrannosaurus Rex like skull, and it, that's what showing you. This is bigger than Jurassic Park. This is the monster movie, and I went to go see it, and the acting's bad. No offense towards all those people there, but this, this isn't their movie. Jean Reno, I think, was okay if I remember right, but this just wasn't their style of movie. The plot was bad. It was dark. It looked terrible. And most importantly, the Godzilla monster looked atrocious. It looked like a ripoff of a Jurassic Park T-Rex. It was awful. It was stupid. And they tried to set up this whole sequel that Godzilla was a lady Godzilla and had planted all these eggs and we we're going to get this. But man, I, I remember walking out of that theater just really disappointed. And look, you're talking to a guy who is excited to go see Batman and Robin. But I mean, I walked out of that movie going, well, wow, that was stupid. I didn't expect it to be great. And I know you're all saying, what, do you expect Godzilla to be Citizen Kane? No, but expect it to be a good Godzilla movie. And this sure as hell was not a good Godzilla movie. But let's talk about uh, some franchises here. Okay. A lot of times with a franchise movie, and by the way, I want to go back with Godzilla really quick. They ended up doing it better. Now, I know the first Godzilla remake was a little slow, focused maybe a little too much on the human characters. But when it when it worked, it worked. It was very, very dark. I know, like, lighting-wise, very dark. But when it worked, it worked. And then I thought Godzilla King of Monsters was acceptable. I have, again, a pacing issue with that movie. And then Godzilla vs. Kong, come on, one of the greatest films ever made. I mean, it's got to be in a museum. So they they obviously could do this, right, is what I'm saying. But again, let's go back to some franchises. Now, in the second half is specifically like sci-fi. And so I'm going to be going over a lot of very big franchises in the second half. But here I've got a couple of superhero movies I want to talk about. And two of them, I would argue, the biggest superheroes ever. And the third one was an original concept, an original idea. But I want to start with Spider-Man 3. I think it's really easy for us to look back and say, well, yeah, come on, we all knew Spider-Man 3 was going to be terrible. But we did not know that. And I, like another movie I know some people are going to talk about on here is X-Men Last Stand, which, again, I think is pretty terrible. I'm not as big of a fan of the X-Men movies as a lot of other people are. So maybe that, again, I'm talking about my list here. But 
Spider-Man, I, I was I think Spider-Man is the biggest or second biggest comic book character easily in my lifetime. I think he is. You can argue. I, I think there's three you can argue about. Uh, Spider-Man, Batman, and Superman. And so we got the first two Sam Raimi Spider-Man movies with Tobey Maguire. And uh, excellent. I think I talked about this uh, podcast a while ago. I rewatched Spider-Man 2 not long ago. That movie is superb. That movie is so good. So you're coming off Spider-Man 2. You got Spider-Man 3, who, for like my parents' generation or people a little bit older than me, older Gen Xers, their, you know, Venom wasn't their villain. Venom was was my generation's villain. Venom was invented in my time of reading comics and stuff like that. So you're going to get Venom. And there's a lot that's very right about Spider-Man 3. Like I said, not all these movies are terrible. The whole The whole birth of Sandman sequence is so cool. Sam Raimi, I still think he knows that character. Toby Maguire knows it. It's predictable ground, but they tried to they tried to jam you know too many characters in. It's like, oh, now we're going to have Gwen Stacy and with Bryce Dallas Howard, and I don't know why she did anything except it's uh, supposed to be a, a I don't know a, a foil to Mary Jane Watson or whatever, but. It was more than anything, it was Topher Grace as Venom. Now, I know you look at it in the years later, and Sam Raimi is flat out said, I didn't want to use that villain. They basically, Sony said, you got to shoehorn him in. I wanted this to be the story with Thomas Hayden Church. And before I go on, I do want to say, and again, great performance. It was great seeing him in the Spider-Man multiverse movie, The Far From Home. We need to remember something about Spider-Man 3 that everybody likes to dump on Topher Grace and Venom. They completely rewrote Spider-Man's origin story with Thomas Hayden Church and Sandman and saying, well, I'm actually the one that killed your uncle. And then Peter's like, all right, I did all this stuff for that. Cool. Also, the whole hobgoblin thing with James Franco and stuff, just very not good. Not good at all. There's so many... So many things. It was like they were trying to do a season finale like Lost and say, okay, we're going to solve everything. But the Venom part. First thing, Venom doesn't show up until like late in the third act. And Topher Grace, who I think is great. I think he is a hero to all of us Star Wars people with his edits out there. But he's a TV actor. And I know this is going to sound kind of – I don't want to say mean or whatever, but it's – He's not, at that time especially, he's not a movie actor. He's a TV actor. And TV and movies are very, very different. And he just could not... First off, the story was rushed, which, again, is not Topher Grace's fault. But he's no Alfred Molina, okay? He's no Willem Dafoe. He cannot carry this. And the way the movie was constructed is he had to carry some of that. It wasn't going to be the Sandman character. And they tried to, so... A lot of this I got to put on Sam Raimi. I had high expectations. It looked really good. It looked like, and I still think it has a lot of potential. It could really, really go somewhere. But man, it just did not work. And yeah, the stupid, mean Peter Parker stuff and everything. It just, I I think I read this other places, but it's like three movies jammed into one. And it's unfortunate because I really wanted to like that. I really, I I think it's really, I, well, I'm happy that Tobey Maguire had got to play Spider-Man again and kind of closed the door on that. But just I just remember walking out of the theater and being like, I, I wish it could at least be cheesy as Batman and Robin. It just wasn't. And then the other franchise, 
Superman. Now, I'm not talking about Man of Steel because I don't hate that movie. I'm not talking about Batman v Superman because, yes, Martha, but that I'm talking about, I believe it came out in 07 or 08. Oh, let me check here. 06. <laughs> Brian Singer, problematic, but at the time is coming off of two X Men movies. Uh, X2, very, very well received. He decides not to do X-Men Last Stand because he gets a shot to do Superman. Now, we haven't had a Superman movie since the Quest for Peace, which, uh, yeah, again, um, it's a movie, I guess. It's uh, terrible effects, all sorts of things, a story around it. But this wasn't that. This movie was going to have a lot of, it was a lot of money behind it. A lot. I mean, it was a big big deal and Sainer was an A-list director at that time and then you get Kevin Spacey signed on to play Lex Luthor uh, you get Brandon Routh who isn't a really big well-known actor but neither was Christopher Reeve I even go I go back to the whole first Tim Burton Batman movie yeah Michael Keaton was a well-known actor Jack Nicholson is what sold tickets to that it's oh he's playing the Joker so again problematic now but back then it's like oh my god kevin spacey's playing lex luther this is going to be dope big summer release and all the they kept saying in all the interviews and stuff that it's gonna be basically like a spiritual sequel to superman 2 we're gonna forget superman 3 or 4 or supergirl didn't happen and you gotta remember especially for someone like me i'm a huge i mean huge superman fan i had superman superman 2 when i was a kid uh, Superman 3 is – the departure between Superman 2 and Superman 3 is very similar to the departure of Batman Returns and uh, Batman and uh, Forever and then Batman and Robin. It, it's more hacky. It's got some parts and Richard Pryor, who I think is great, just no, no. And Superman 4 is just a, a canon film, you know, crap fest. But this was – okay, this is going to write the ship. Because we had the Tim Burton Superman for a long time, the one supposedly written by Kevin Smith that was going to have Nicolas Cage as Superman. We had all this stuff. We had all this hype for for 20 years. And finally we get this. And I, I will tell you right now, probably when I'm done recording this, I'm going to watch the opening of that movie again. The The opening credits, the first part of that movie is so good. It's so, so good. And the movie looks amazing. But it's boring. Kevin Spacey, I hate to say this, he's great in his part. I think Parker Posey's great. You bring Cal Penn on, fresh off of Harold and Kumar, and his character famously doesn't say anything. And the movie just seemed to be stuck in the late 1970s or early 80s. Brandon Routh, who I don't think is that bad, just doesn't really do anything with it. And Kate Beckinsale played Lois Lane. Oh, God, no. And the the whole... She has a kid, but it's really Superman's kid, and he's a deadbeat dad and all this other stuff, and poor uh, James Marston's, or I think I said her, I can't remember. Just so many things about the movie. It, it really was a movie that I walked out and hoped they were not going to make a sequel. I mean, first off, what would they do? Release release Zod in them from, uh, from the, the depths of the... Uh, of the Fortress of Solitude or whatever happened to him in Superman 2. I mean, maybe finally have him fight Doomsday or something like that. But no, it just didn't seem that type of movie. Having said all that, the sequence with the airplane crashing, oh my God, amazing. Uh, just moments of this movie that are so good. 
so, so, so good, but just let down by an idiotic plot and let down by love of a film that I liked a lot when I was 10. Granted, I still think it's good today, but I wasn't 10 when Superman Returns came out. So you can say they haven't figured it out yet. You could say that. Like I said, I don't hate Man of Steel. And there's times I will defend, I still defend Henry Cavill's Superman, who's not going to be around anymore. But but you could argue that they haven't been able to do it. And you, you could be right. And trying to make what was successful in the late 70s and early 80s Maybe it was the right move to make, but it proved to be wrong. It proved you got to do something different. And now James Gunn is doing something different, supposedly, and they're going to try to return it to a, a non-origin story by a younger Superman. I'm thinking something along the lines of what Matt Reeves did with the Batman is see him at the beginning of his career, but you don't have to relive the whole blowing up planet and all that other crap. But speaking of which, you just off you want to see the greatest origin story of Superman ever, go get the the graphic novel, All-Star Superman. It is literally two pages. It is perfect. It is awesome. That's how they should start off the next Superman movie. Uh, you can uh, send me a check, uh, Mr. Gunn. I'll, I know people will find each other out. So so Superman returns. Spider-Man 3. Great franchises that just could not continue to carry the weight of the franchise. So let's talk about something that wasn't a franchise. Let's talk about something that could have truly been something magnificent. And I will tell you right now, the first part of this movie, the first act of this movie is truly magnificent. And that's the movie Hancock by uh, Peter Berg. It came out in, hold on, I got to check this again, 2008. Will Smith, problematic, not like Kevin Spacey or Brian Singer, but Will Smith plays this alcoholic just angry you know what he plays he he's like somebody on the boys before the boys amazon show the boys before the boys was even out yet i think i think the comic might have been out around this time but he was foul-mouthed he would throw he's super strength he can fly all this other stuff he would like pick up criminals throw people all these things and then he saves this pr guy jason bateman who i actually think is pretty damn good in this movie i'm gonna tell you that and will smith's great in this movie he saves him, and the PR guy decides, hey, I'm going to – and Hancock, he doesn't – he's got, like, amnesia. Jason Bateman's like, I'm going to say – I'm going to save your career. We're going to – people are going to love you again. Da-da-da. We're going to do this. And uh, you got to put this on the director. You got to put it on the writers. But the movie, halfway through, completely becomes something different. What is set up, this just cantankerous, grumpy superhero that's getting an image rehab – just turned into a crappy, stupid action movie that didn't make any sense whatsoever. And Charlie's Theron's in this movie. I mean, we are not talking – these films I'm talking about, except for maybe Saturday the 14th, we are not talking about bad actors, okay? We are talking about people who are who are doing good work, but they're being let down by the writers, or I, I don't know what they're being let down by. But Hancock is truly a movie that it could have really been something. It could have been The Boys. It could have been Homelander in some ways. It could have been this story. It just turned into something that was that was just crap. It's still disappointing to me today that that movie just went the way it went. And hey, look, it's it's 
it's called show business for a reason. These people in those buildings, they make all this money because they know they know what they want, but you, you, they know what the people want. But you are going to easily learn. Look, everything I'm listing here, again, for, except for Saturday the 14th, these are big budget films. These have a lot of money, a lot of development, a lot of people probably probably lost jobs because I think everything I've talked about has been considered somewhat, maybe not a financial failure, but it did not bring in the money they thought it was because all these movies I've discussed have essentially ended their franchises or been non-starters to their franchises. Which leads me to the last one I'm going to talk about here on the first half. And I, it's one I almost started off with. It's one I almost ended the podcast with. Again, it's a movie I do not dislike. I think the biggest problem with this film is the title. Because the title brings an expectation. And oh my God, did they miss the expectation by a million miles. And that was G.I. Joe Origins Snake Eyes. Now, come on, you guys all know, poor Ty has to hear it all the time. I love my G.I. Joes. I, it is probably the best toy line, uh, my favorite toy line of my lifetime. That includes Star Wars toys. I'm looking down at my desk right here near my microphone. I've got Snake Eyes, Stalker, Cobra Commander, and Storm Shadow all posed off looking boss as hell. And I do. I just really, really like it a lot. G.I. Joe, The Rise of Cobra, I thought was fun. I thought it was enjoyable. It wasn't exactly what I wanted, but it had snake eyes and it had Cobra Commander, be it till the, at the end there. It had Destro. It had Zartan. It, and it was this weird kind of sci-fi goofy ass thing. And I know the whole backstory with Baroness and Duke, whatever, but it was fine. Uh, G.I. Joe Retaliation, even though they basically get rid of everybody. I actually really like that movie. That's a that's a good G.I. Joe. That's a great G.I. Joe movie in my mind. I really I lo- I will defend Retaliation. Uh it's a shout out to the podcast Joe on Joe. Joe Slepsky talks about G.I. Joe. He just got done with the original Marvel run, 155 comics. He basically did it during the pandemic, just finished it up. Incredible, awesome. He he's doing his uh, series where we talk about GI, where he has other people talk about GI Joe. I'm more than happy to talk about retaliation with them because I think that movie is underrated. I like it a lot. And then nothing again. Franchise is basically over, so they want to reboot it Marvel style, which works great for something like GI Joe. And the first movie they're going to do is their most iconic character, Snake Eyes, the silent ninja in black, the commando. The it's. The guy who's got the richest history of G.I. Joe, especially if you've read the comic, and it's going to be Snake Eyes, and it's going to be Storm Shadow, and it's going to be the Urushikage, and I know all you people who have no idea what the hell I'm talking about are like, it's like Ty listing Michigan defense or offensive linemen, but it was going to, it had all the makings, but man, did it make one absolutely massive fatal mistake, and that fatal mistake is putting a super attractive, charming guy like Henry Golding as the role of Snake Eyes. Now, the movie checks off a lot of the boxes. It checks off the ninja clans. It checks off the the friendship and then the falling out of, of Storm Shadow and Snake Eyes. It, it checks all these boxes. It's got the hard master in it. It's got the blind master in it. But <sighs> Henry Golding doesn't put the Snake Eyes mask slash helmet on till the very last scene of the, or very end before the credits. Of the movie. Plus, he's still talking. He's not disfigured. For those of you that don't know, Snake Eyes doesn't talk because he was in a terrible accident that made him look like a monster and he can't speak anymore. He's he's this silent, ultra-cool ninja warrior. 
And the Snake Eyes movie never did that at all. I spent the whole movie waiting. It's like Millhouse and the Fireworks Factory. Like, when are they going to destroy his face? And they never did. And uh, I get that you're trying to make a movie for an audience. I get you have a great looking and good actor like Henry Golding. I get all that stuff. But look, at the end of the day, I've said this before. My my son, who's going to be 13 this Sunday, he doesn't care about G.I. Joe. I do care. Okay, this is this is movie should be – you need to understand who the audience is. And I just – everybody I know who's a G.I. Joe guy has said the same thing is, yeah, there was this, that there was a giant snake. That was an issue. But this, that, and the other thing. But why did Snake Eyes never get disfigured? And I think that's part of the issue because that's what we all talk about now. That's what we all know. And yeah, they try to set up a sequel and maybe it happens in the sequel. Or Snake Eyes was the first movie I, I saw out of the pandemic. This is still at the time wearing masks in the theater. I went in the middle of a weekday, so there weren't many people in the theater. There were some people there to see it. And again, if it was some Canon's film American Ninja movie from the 1980s, it would have been the best one ever. But there's an expectation. And... That's where I walk out. I'm just disappointed. I'll sit down and I'll watch Retaliation again. I, I, I'll sit down and I'll go get Retaliation out on Blu-ray. Snake Eyes are like, oh, it's coming to Netflix. And I'm like, yeah. Uh. It, it's Every time I hear the name of that movie, I think of What If. And that's just not the way it should be. It, should, should, it shouldn't be that way. But, hey, I got a microphone to complain about this crap, so I'm going to complain about it. Now, let's take a break because – I warmed up the stove. I'm, I'm cooking a huge, huge stack of takes right now, and they're coming hot. And they're coming so hot because there's no tie here. There's no Tina here to slow me down. So you take a break. We'll come back, and then we'll we'll get to the real the real stuff. Hello, all. This is RD. I wanted to talk to you guys about a, another podcast that I do work on called High Heels and Politics. It's hosted by Marianne Christie, who I work with here in Southwest Ohio. And Marianne, she interviews a lot of influential people. In Ohio, she's interviewed uh, a lot of political people that are influential. But for those of you outside of this state, she's also interviewed people like Susie Chapstick Chaffee, a former Olympic skier who was the face of Chapstick for the 1970s and 1980s. It's really interesting to listen to that one because She talks about her struggles as a woman in the Olympics, but then how she used her celebrity and her attractiveness in order to get more rights for amateur athletes, which led us today to things like the NIL. Also, Susie is very instrumental in Title IX, which we're celebrating the 50th anniversary of. But it's not all just seriousness. Uh, Marianne has also interviewed the Naked Cowboy, the New York City icon that's been out there. Simon Lease, who a lot of you may know if you've ever seen The People vs. Larry Flint, he was the guy that arrested Larry Flint. He also arrested Jerry Springer when Jerry Springer was a member of the Cincinnati City Council here. So I encourage you guys go to Spotify, Google, Apple, go search High Heels in Politics, follow, subscribe the show. Marianne comes out with a new one every week, and it's an incredibly great conversation. And if you're interested or know anybody that may be on High Heels in Politics, just go to the contact page and talk to us. So let's get back to the conversation. Okay, guys, let's talk about Star Wars. Let's get the obvious one out of the way. I was younger. I was a kid. I was born in 1975 when the original three came out. I vividly remember seeing Empire and 
and Return of the Jedi in the theater. I have a vague memory. I don't know if it's something that's made up or something like that. Being in my parents' car when we lived in Minnesota, so this would have been prior to 1980, so I would have been very young, seeing Star Wars at a drive-in theater. I was obsessed with stars. One of the other super early memories I have back when I lived in Minnesota was playing with my Star Wars figures. I also remember watching Buck Rogers. So that's it. That's all I know about Minnesota. Oh, also one of the places we lived had a swimming pool. That's the house, the complex we lived in. So anyways, always Star Wars has been part of my DNA. I watched droids. I bought the Marvel comics. I watched the Ewok adventures when they were on. I bought the the Heir to the Empire, the Th- the Thrawn trilogy, the su- supposed sequel books that came out. I bought the toys when there was the Power of the Force. I did all the look. I, I'm just trying to tell you, Star Wars was my thing. I always, always, always heavily invested in it. My friends loved it too. We all loved it. And then it gets announced that uh, George Lucas is going to do a prequel series. Is going to talk about. The Republic, the the Jedi's, the, the all the cool Jedi's, Yon Obi Wan Kenobi, how Anakin Skywalker becomes Darth Vader, all this stuff. And by that time, it had been by the time Jedi came out to the time the Phantom Menace came out, it had been sixteen years. Now, dating a girl at the time, and uh, who is now my wife, so she'll tell that story many times. And this was early, early on when we were like first dating. And I remember I wanted to go see the movie Babe, Pig in the City. Uh, Babe 2, Pig in the City. Great film. That is not one I'm going to talk about on this podcast. That film was well, well executed. And I told her we should make sure she goes to buy the tickets because the theater was near where her apartment was. Because I was afraid it was going to sell out because it was the movie that was going to have the trailer for The Phantom Menace. And then Siskel and Ebert on their show talked about that trailer. Okay? And... Bonkers trailer. I mean, great trailer. It's like, wow, this is going to be incredible. There's a scene, a troubling scene with a kid going, woo, in a, in a spaceship at one time. But is thinking, okay, this is going to be great. And on my 25th birthday, the movie came out May 19, 19, uh, or May 19, 2000. Or maybe it was my 24th birthday. When the hell did Phantom Menace come out? 99, my 24th birthday. What the hell am I thinking? Okay, so... <laughs> And that crawl came, and it's like, okay, but it's the crawl. I mean, who cares? And then that ship came, and then the Trade Federation people spoke, and then the ship went down, and Jar Jar came. And I have been trying to convince myself now for 24 years, half of my life, okay, that the Phantom Menace is good. That there's and there are good parts to it, and I'll sit back and some of the stories that that started there that came out. Look, I'm not mad about the Midichlorians. I'm not. I know a lot of people are. I'm not mad about trade disputes or all that other stuff. I am a little irritated by the the racist voices, but even if I will try to defend the Phantom Menace, I have to admit one thing. My God, did that movie not live up to? Whatever conceptual ideas they could have had. And there's a lot of things they could have done. I, I've said this before on a podcast. They make Anakin older. Don't start him that young. Make him older. Make him already a little angry. There's actually a deleted scene in The Phantom Menace after he wins a pod race where one of his buddies is like, oh, you cheated. And Anakin jumps on top and starts wailing on him. And Qui-Gon's like, you need to control your anger. You can't do that. They should have 
they should have kept that scene in. It wouldn't have redeemed the movie, but at least it would have had something that was like that. And it, it set up just a not a great taste in my mouth because then Attack of the Clones comes out, and I actually think Attack of the Clones is worse than The Phantom Menace, but I already went into it kind of having lower expectations. And then Revenge of the Sith, I was just... Again, I like. I know Ty doesn't like Revenge of the Sith. I do like Revenge of the Sith. I do think, especially the back half of that movie, when Anakin becomes Darth Vader, named Darth Vader, I think is a lot better. And I, I think it, it's very, very good. I still think that... I think the best fight in lightsaber like, fight in Star Wars history is in Attack of the Clones last season between Ahsoka and Darth Maul. But that Obi-Wan and Anakin one, oh my god, is that great. But man, Phantom Menace. Now... I get to go off on this one because Ty's not here. But whatever Phantom Menace did disappointment-wise is just a fraction of what The Rise of Skywalker did disappointment-wise. Phantom Menace is is supposed to start this whole story, so I'm going to give a little bit of leeway to it. I'm going to take a little bit of a step back and go, okay, fine. It's set set up some cool ideas, set up some great stuff. Anything that was set up in Rise of Skywalker, I hope never makes an appearance. And... This topic also came to me because I'm playing through the the Skywalker Saga Lego video game. Cool as hell. I just got done with Rise of Skywalker and I'm still pissed off about it. And look, I, I have a little bit of distance and spoiler alert for any of you guys out there, but Ray being Palpatine's granddaughter, I don't hate that. I, I don't. I mean, fine, whatever. It's, it upsets me because I am a defender of of The Last Jedi. And yeah, there are some things The Last Jedi does that almost seems like Ryan Johnson's just sticking it to Disney and saying, all right, everything you built up in uh, Force Awakens, I'm going to get rid of. But that, that was great. That was great. It actually, I think, makes Force Awakens a little bit of a better movie. It, it shows you that, okay, you all love Star Wars. You love this. You all dislike the prequels. Where we're going to give you what you love, but then we're going to shake it all up and, and, and carry you for the rest of the ride. But they didn't carry you the rest of the ride. J.J. Abrams, and talk about TV, he's a TV guy, okay? J.J. Abrams, he... I don't know why he did what he did. I don't know if he hated the actress that played Rose and hated that story. I don't know if he just – look, there are things in there. I said I don't hate that the Emperor's back. I don't hate that. I don't hate that the, the whole Ray thing. I really flippin' hate uh, Ben Solo, like, dying or Ray and him kissing and then him dying or whatever. I do really hate that. And the whole just uh, at the end with uh, the former Stormtrooper girl, Jana, that they found on Endor, you know, because she's black and sitting with Lando, who's also black. And she's like, I don't know who my parents are. And Lando's like, oh, let's go find out. I mean, uh, it was so lazy. It was just so, so lazy. And again, everything done in The Last Jedi. No payoff whatsoever. None. And... You know what? You know how you fix it? You want to make that movie? Fine. Then remake The Last Jedi. Star Wars already did Disney already did it with, like I said, the Thrawn trilogy and stuff like that. Just throw it out and say it's non-canonical or can- canonical, I think is what you have. Just throw it out and then say, oh, by the way, now we're, uh, th- this, is, this is the eighth movie and then the ninth movie. But God, just the laziness and the fact at the end that Palpatine, who has spent 
more than a lifetime building up this incredible, awesome power that Ray is. Oh, I, I I know you guys are like Cub. Just let it go. But I, I'm talking about a podcast where stuff I was excited for, and that, that preview for the Last Jedi or for Rise of Skywalker, bonkers, great. It's like yes, and the actors, great. You could tell us Oscar Isaac was just done with it. He John Bodega, Bodega he was like, yeah, no. Uh, Daisy Ridley, God's bless her. She put it all out there. And just that last stupid little scene, like, who? oh, my God. Again, the Phantom Menace I will defend. I will not defend Rise of Skywalker. Never, ever, ever. But I'm going to stop talking about it now. So let's talk about another huge genre, uh, a huge franchise, Star Trek. Now, I know a lot of you are probably thinking what I'm going to talk about. I'm not going to talk about the Abrams ones. I had actually, I was never a big Star Trek fan, to be completely honest. And I, uh, the first movie I enjoyed, my wife, though, who is a very big Star Trek fan, absolutely hates that movie. Because at the end, they just give Kirk the the keys to the Enterprise. And she's right. It's stupid. That's a topic for another time. But I didn't have really any expectations after that. So Star Trek, it's not really con, but it's con or whatever the hell it's named. I, I just I didn't really care that much about. But I grew up at a time where I had a lot of friends, my wife included here, who really, really liked The Last Generation. Really, really enjoyed it. I knew a few other people that are really into the original series. And I've never watched the original series. I actually I enjoyed some of the movies. I'm not going to talk about Star Trek V because that was just there's other reasons that movie's not good. Um still interesting concepts, but but 2 and 4 obviously top notch. I know some real Star Trek people actually hate both of those. I just in the last few weeks I watched the director's edition of Star Trek the Motion Picture. It's streaming on HBO Max. Great. Really good. Makes me want to go back and watch the original series. But while I was in college, uh, Star Trek Generations came out. So this was going to be the old and the new crew. This was going to be the transition. This was going to be the all the people I knew that loved Picard and Riker and Data and all that stuff. And then you have the old crew that had come off Star Trek VI, which I think is an underrated film. I remember going – because this was maybe the first Star Trek movie. I was like, okay, I'm going to go see. I'm going to enjoy this. And it's unfair – I will be the first to say that, but it's because of that movie that I don't think I can ever really go and watch The Next Generation and like it. The movie's terrible. And you talk about... <sighs> so, you know, Star Trek V, the one where they go fight God or whatever. But again, that's Kirk fighting God. I know it's not really God, but that's what it is. That's how big of a character that is. He's What does God need a starship for? He's going to question them. That's, that's some brass cojones right there. So that's the character of Kirk. And at the end of that movie, and yeah, I'm giving Star Trek V way too much love. He says to like McCoy and Spock, I knew I wasn't going to die down there because I knew I'm going to be with my family. I'm not going to die alone. Generations, he dies alone. I know Picard was there, but it's just a complete other crap, just huge crap taken on that character. Just huge. I mean, Data is just insufferable, insufferable as a character in that movie, especially. I just, and I know a lot of big Star Trek fans are like the whole Nexus thing and all that stuff. It's just that movie, that movie could have been great, could have truly 
truly been great? Could it truly pass a baton? Could have made Kirk go out in an epic way that would affect the entire crew of the the new Enterprise? And look, when I talk about, you know, maybe it's just TV, the very next movie they do, First Contact, is 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 awesome. It's great. I actually don't think Insurrection's that terrible. I mean, I, my wife says that it's like a big episode of the show. Okay, fine. I've never seen Nemesis, and from my understanding, that's the way to go. But Generations is just, it's an insult to, like, everything I've talked about here, even the G.I. Joe movie, it wasn't a direct insult to the actual property it was. And, uh, yeah. Oh, okay. Whew. It's exciting. Let's talk about Aliens. Now I could talk about Aliens 3, or Alien 3, I don't know, whatever the hell it's called, but... I there's even though David Fincher won't defend it, there's some ways I will defend it. What I want to talk about is the quote unquote prequels. So Alien Covenant, I never even saw because of the movie Prometheus. I've heard a lot of people tell me you should go watch the director's edition or whatever. And I've watched the beginning, the the engineer drinks the thing or whatever to become the seed for mankind or whatever the hell it is. Prometheus, though, I was I was excited to see. I wanted to go see Prometheus. And I went to go see it, and I should have known when I saw it written by Damon Lidenhoff, who wrote The Watchmen Show. Great. Wrote uh, The Leftovers. Great. Wrote Lost. Mostly great. But, man, it was just so convoluted. Fassbender's great in that movie. I mean, but so convoluted and... Uh, you. you Take another movie like Blade Runner 2049, which is very slow, deals with very philosophical ideas, but it takes the time with them. Prometheus was just like reading some, like taking five different philosophy books and just picking random chapters out of them and crunching them together. It just, it was, it was nonsensical. It was boring. It was like, okay, I don't want to see this. And after what had happened with Alien 3 and, alien whatever i just you know maybe that franchise maybe they need to do what saner did with superman returns and try to go back to well i would say what ridley scott did but ridley scott's doing these what james cameron did in aliens these are monsters okay this is the exciting thing about it. they're scary they're this it's i heard on another podcast in glorious trexperts they were talking about the borg with star trek and it's like the more you explain about them the less scary they become yeah, Prometheus just, ugh. But to go along with the alien thing, and I, I got a, a different one I want to end on because it's a movie that probably not a lot of you guys know about, uh, and rightfully so, but it's if I tell you, if I told you this movie is coming out this summer, you'd be so geeked for, but so I'm not, I'm going to end with that one. So I'm going to talk about Alien v. Predator, or Alien versus Predator, or Dawn of Justice, or whatever the hell it is. Okay, that's an awesome concept. I go back to Godzilla vs. Kong. I just want to see the two fight, and that's what I got to see. I got to see him fight. Yeah, I had stupid human characters doing stupid human character things, but for the most part, when those stupid human characters were doing that stuff, they were flying a ship on top of King Kong's heart to jumpstart him or something like that. So I'll deal with stupid character development for that. Alien v. Predator was all about the stupid human characters. No. I want to see an alien, and I want to see a predator, and I want them to fight. A lot. Over and over. And I want it to be gruesome and awesome 
and sounding cool and looking awesome, and they didn't give you that. They even made a sequel, and they didn't give you that. I didn't go see the sequel, but I remember Alien v. Predator, and I was and like, what's his name shows up, who was um, not Bishop. Was he Bishop? He was the android in Aliens. That one I'm not going to look up. Lance Hendrickson. Just, no. No. Ugh. Ugh. Awful. So I want to end on Keanu Reeves. Now, if I was to tell you Keanu Reeves is going to be making a movie that takes place in kind of like a, a samurai-infested future, a lot of neon and dudes walking around with swords and flying cars and kind of a, a non-rainy version of a Blade Runner world, and maybe rainy but a lot more neon, and he's what he does is he's basically got a hard drive in a skull that he takes sensitive information from like one bad guy group and sends it to another bad guy group is constantly being hunted. We're all going to see that movie. They already made that movie. In 1995, there was a film with Keanu Reeves had Dolph Lundgren in it. Ice-T was in it. Henry Rollins was in it. You all ready to go see this now? Based off of a William Gibson cyberpunk-like story called Johnny Mnemonic. First problem with it is mnemonic is spelled M-N-E-M-O-N-I-C. That's the first problem. Second problem, the effects were not great. Third problem is we all love Keanu now, but Keanu was hit and miss in the 90s. <laughs> he was the worst part about Bram Stoker's Dracula. Uh, he's the worst part about uh, much to do about nothing. A lot of people would say great in Bill and Ted's and great in Speed. But Johnny Mnemonic, that, that that was he was played this guy in this cyberpunk future with again all the neon and the swords and the guns who was running information between people. And again, you make that movie today, it is going to make a boatload of money. People are gonna be going, but it just it just didn't work. Now, Keanu ended up making The Matrix that I did not go see in the theater. A lot of reasons because I was stoked to go see Johnny Mnemonic and the movie was terrible. And I'm kicking myself. I did go see The Matrix, uh, what was the first one? Reloaded, the first sequel in the theater. I did not see Revolution. So I could have maybe said Matrix Reloaded, but I wanted to talk about Johnny Mnemonic because I don't know if you all know about Johnny Mnemonic. But that was a movie I was. I was very, very excited to go see and walked out and probably... Probably a big opinion I have on Keanu Reeves as an actor, probably why I didn't go see John Wick, the first one, when it was in the theaters, is because of Johnny Mnemonic. Because I'm like, wow, what an idea. Go back to Saturday the 14th. What an idea. What terrible, terrible, terrible execution. Do it again, Hollywood. I, 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 I Do it with all the same people. Do it with Dolph. Do it with Ice-T. Do it with that. I bet you that movie would make tons of money because now the time is right to make a movie. Maybe that's part of it. All these other movies, it's not about timing. The Godzilla movie, the Star Trek movie, the Star Wars movies I talked about, they, they're just crapping on their franchises. Spider-Man, Superman, they just didn't get what was making them right to begin with. The Snake Eyes movie just did not understand its character. But Johnny Mnemonic could be made <laughs> could be great. You could take another stab at it. So that's where I wanted to leave on a little hope there. Hope that, and I know some of you are like, Cub, you are out of your damn mind. But hey, 
come talk to me about it if I'm out of my damn mind. Yeah, come over to Seedsing, S-E-E-D-S-I-N-G.com. I'm more than willing to hear. You can come, I mean, make sure you're already subscribing. Make sure you get friends to, to subscribe to the Ex-Millennial Man podcast, and we'll talk about this stuff. We'll talk about what we were hyped for that just did not work and how we can make it better because that's what we're going to do moving forward. I, I'm already – I'm going to announce it here soon here, but I'm already writing my version of one of these movies. And, hey, I'm not a writer. I'm not this. But, hey, it's my idea, and I want to share it with you guys, and I want you to share your ideas. So with all that being said, I thank you for your ears. Anything else that you may use to listen to the Ex-Millennial Man podcast, remember we're here every Saturday for free where you find your fine podcasting shows. And go out there. Be safe. Be happy. And more importantly, just be helpful. So we'll talk to you next time. The Ex-Millennial Man Podcast is a production of SeedSing.com, fully owned by R.D. Kulik & Associates, LLC. Producers Ty Kulik and Ryan Kulik, adequately engineered by Ryan Kulik.